0: The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. When shelter in place orders are over, what are you going to do first? One of the first things I'm going to do and this probably gives me away as a single 30-something with expendable income, is go catch a movie. A movie in a real theater with real people. There is a backlog of spring and summer films waiting to be released, and I cannot wait until the floodgates open. It is a real loss to not be able to enjoy public cultural experiences right now, like movies, plays, concerts, But what about people whose livelihood depends on the performing arts? What are things looking like for them? Are there things that we can do to continue to support artists right now? And are there things they could do for the church? I wrangled my friend, actor, writer, director, Chris Domig into a Zencaster call to talk about these very things. Chris and his family live in New York, in Brooklyn, and Chris is the founder and director of Sea Dog Theater, an award-winning off-off Broadway theater company whose mission is to tell stories of alienation and reconciliation. In normal times, their theater uses the sacred and everyday spaces of Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in Manhattan to tell their stories and even to share sit-down meals with their theatergoers. But that, of course, is in normal times. So Chris gives me the scoop on what's happening in his community right now. And as always, reminds me of the stunning and life-giving links between theater and the church. Did you think that you maybe were, were going to show up in some kind of video form today? I should have warned you that it wasn't a video; that it was just yeah, like a call.
1: I'm I'm in a three piece suit here. I got a haircut. Um, oh,
0: I'm so sorry. No, I,
1: <laughs> I'm not in a three piece suit. I just I do have a nice <laughs> shirt on.
0: Chris, what are things like in New York City at the moment? Can you give us a picture?
1: Yeah, there are so many different lives lived in New York City. And depending on where you live right now, for example, Queens is especially hard hit. News outlets are talking about it being the epicenter within the epicenter. So we're in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. We're about a 10 minute walk east of Prospect Park, which is the biggest park in Brooklyn. And we are doing okay. My wife and I and our two kids, Annie Ansel, four and six, we're all Healthy, and we've now are starting week, well, we're in the middle of week four of, of being home, sort of shelter in place. We have been able to go out on nice days and get some air. We have a family bike that that fits the kids on the back. They have their own seat. I've taken the kids to the park, and we've been exploring these sort of off-route paths, which has been interesting. We would have never otherwise gone on these mini-adventures, but of course, we're trying to stay clear of other people as much as we can. On nice days, you still see quite a number of folks that are running or getting exercised. They're keeping their distance and of course, over the last 10 days, people have all had masks on.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that in the middle, I mean Dallas is not like it is in New York by any stretch. But I noticed that in the middle of all of this, it's it's a crisis, it's a pandemic, but it also feels strangely normal and for some people strangely like a vacation. Almost like a a relaxation of some of the tensions and anxieties of everyday normal life, while at the same time, these heightened tensions and anxieties about something unprecedented.
1: Yeah. Just on that, I do think there was a sense, we as a country or even as a world, a lot of places that are experiencing this haven't been through this, that at first it did feel like, oh it's dangerous enough, we all need to stay home. And of course, in places like New York, where work reigns supreme, it at first felt a little bit like a snow day. Uh huh. And the city has to sort of calm down and, and it's sort of for our best. And then after it's sunk in, and I think this is probably happening elsewhere, too, that it's not just a snow day, it's a it's a pandemic, and this could continue for weeks or also months, it sort of changes from this is a really chill experience to, you know, it's frightening.
0: Chris, you're the director of a theater company called Sea Dog. And we featured you in an article last year in in the Living Church magazine, because you're collaborating with an Episcopal church in Manhattan, Calvary St. George, in a special way. You use their church as your theater space. What are things like for the arts and artists right now? And for the performing arts in particular?
1: Well, the short answer is it's a quite quite a dire situation for most artists, especially the artists that are sort of on the lower rung, the off Broadway, off-off Broadway. But I, I don't want to discount anyone that works on Broadway. The mental health of an artist, if you've once you've discovered that creating is one is a thing that you have to do and you're able to give to the world is essential to sort of your daily routine and whether or not you're making a living at it or not is of course one way of looking at it but to take that away so suddenly from everyone any artist is is sort of a shock and has consequences but because places like New York are so expensive. There are many, many people who have been hit on at least two ends because off-Broadway artists or off-off-Broadway artists aren't making a living. They are relying often about on flexible jobs such as service industry and event, catering, mm-hmm. restaurant jobs. And those also shut down almost simultaneously uh, a few days later. So within a span of a week... A lot of our friends lost all their creative endeavors that gave them sort of a artistic purpose in the city and their financial resources and backing without knowing when either will return.
0: What stands out to me about what you said is that one of the gifts of a person whose vocation is in the arts very oftentimes is a a personality, or let's say a sensitivity, a greater sensitivity to emotions, to the things that are happening in a culture or a society, just people who are more sensitive to the world around them. And then um, that sensitivity is transformed creatively into something that can speak specifically as well as universally to, to many people. But then right now, this is, a, this is a major drawback for these folks because you're saying many of them are stuck by themselves. They're not able to do what they're meant to do. And so that sensitivity becomes a liability when they're restricted from doing what they're supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've we've had a number of folks that we've checked in on and haven't heard back, didn't hear back at first, and we're worried about. Meaning, we know that for many artists who are especially sensitive to their surroundings, this kind of shock to the system often does quickly lead to depression. They don't have family in the city. Their family is away. They can't leave the city. They're in a financial duress, emotional duress, and often are living alone. I think for many artists, their main currency is not status or money, um, often because those things are not readily available. But also that's not something they care most about. Most artists I know and respect don't primarily care about status or money. They do care about the creative process and community. And so Many artists, even under normal circumstances, are unemployed creatively or maybe also, you know, day job wise. But at least they have community to rely on. And, and that is something they rely, rely on heavily in times when other things are not working for them. But that has also been t- taken away from them right now. And so depending on what kind of artist you are, if you're a musician, you can still record or maybe even live stream some stuff. Painters can continue to work from home writers can, the theater community cannot really. Um, and mm-hmm. there has been sort of a, a surge in actors and theater companies try to force stuff online, which I think has only worked to, to a certain extent. Um, and I, I, I understand the, the impulse because everyone is still in shock or it certainly has been in shock until now. There might be a sort of a new normal setting in. But the first few weeks, there's an experience of shock. And of course, creative people want to be proactive in the only way they know how. And so theater artists started doing play readings online or streaming productions of various qualities online. And I I, I read a really interesting article recently by someone uh, published on Medium about actually the need and the call for theater artists just to be quiet.
0: Mm. Because...
1: His, his um, point was that we, our medium was not meant to be online. And no amount of productions read on Zoom or Facebook Live will get even remotely close to what the actual experience is. And so in part, this writer's argument was, we need to grieve the fact that we cannot do this as artists. And we also need to grieve the fact as audience members that we cannot be present for that but take this time to to grieve and heal and prepare for whatever for whatever that time will look like when we are able to gather again.
0: Chris, I don't know if you're aware of this right now, but there's actually a conversation happening in the Anglican Episcopal world about these very things. And what you've described is this interesting parallel. The question is whether we do something that speaks to people now and rush in to fill the gap, or do we hear this as an opportunity to stop? Are we hearing maybe God saying, stop, be quiet for a minute? Instead of picking up more, maybe are we being asked to put something down and to not fill the gap? There's one, a theologian, his name is Ephraim Radner, and he's spoken and written a few pieces for us, uh, on this topic. His position, uh, against, (laughs) against some who would, who would strongly disagree with him is that the church should not be like a helicopter parent and try to fill the silence for other people or for itself, but to stop and to let the silence speak let the the hurt and the loneliness and the alienation and the isolation do some hard work. And he would describe it as potentially making us a holier people. And that makes me think of Sea Dog uh, Theater. You say that you're all about stories of alienation and reconciliation. So I bet Right now, there's an increased sense of poignancy for you in this time where alienation, separation, do we do we let it have its full effect? Do we try to ameliorate it? What will things be like after this is over? The The National Executive Director of the Screen Actors Guild, David White, said of the film industry that in its adaptation to survive, it may in fact look very different when we come out of this, depending on the time that we have. And some of the changes that happen will be permanent. Uh, he's, he's prognosticating. So what are you already sensing and feeling about Sea dogs own vocation and how theaters and, and actors and artists might come out of this time different?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The work for us as a company, as I mentioned before, In reaching out to our artists, making sure they are okay, is as much, of course, part of our mission statement as is to tell stories that tackle this thematically. I'm grateful that we've managed to live our mission statement through and through. And so right now, that's, you know, what we're doing primarily is trying to have an open communication with our artists support them as much as we can, and also reach out to our audience members. Actually, not not in regards to please give us money, though that would be nice. Uh, it's more really wanting to find ways to support them or be in touch with them. But even there, we, we are, we're trying to use words sparingly because we have our own inboxes, email inboxes, and they are overflowing with mm-hmm. either requests for help or for unsolicited advice, or for analysis. And again, I think every organization, every individual is reacting to this differently, and I assume the best. But the cumulative effect of someone's inbox, of my inbox, is that I have a lot of emails coming in, either analyzing or asking for help or giving advice. And also partly responding to what you were talking about What the conversation in church is having. I'm not sure that's always useful. So we are trying to listen to this time that is, yes, a very alienating time and ask ourselves when as a company should we speak up and how should we speak up? And it's not always clear. And we've actually erred on doing less. You know, I have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side of this i i have had th- quite a few thoughts about how we as people of course creative people i believe everyone is really creative but you know creatives as the professional class and quote unquote normal people how i think times like this really do expose who we are because mm-hmm. what we care about and what we are losing is so palpable and clear so that in a city like New York, if you've been living for your job and it's lost or you might be furloughed or you might be unemployed, it's just so clear what it is you were living for that I don't think you can get through this time without at least acknowledging or rethinking what your values are in life. And I think that's going to be true for everyone. Um, sure.
0: Those things yeah. are they are just so hard to predict. Maybe I could adjust the question slightly. Today is Good Friday. We're speaking on Good Friday. And reading the lectionary passages for this morning from Lamentations, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then this tiny short two-verse passage from the Gospel of John, where Peter says, I'll go with you anywhere. And Jesus says, will you really? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows twice, you will have denied me twice. Today is just the day of alienation in the Christian calendar. And recalling that the alienation of Christ led to the reconciliation of all things. So what do you hope could come out of this time for our country, for your city, for Dog, for your family? You can answer this on any level that you have some ideas about.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, the first thing I want to say is, yeah, it's it's so timely that we're having this conversation. As I was scrolling through some of my social media feeds, there were some folks that had, you know, posts that said it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. <laughs> I I don't know. It 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 kind of rubbed me the wrong way today, uh, personally. In a story, you don't know Sunday is coming. If we don't live through Friday and Saturday as if Sunday wasn't coming, we're never going to actually understand what Sunday feels like. And so, I, I do think we have to live through Friday. We are in a season of Friday or Friday Saturday. Even though Easter is on Sunday, I think as a as a world, as a country, we're going through this thing that is feels very much like Friday. I do think to come back to something you said earlier, it's important to quiet down enough, which I think eventually even the busiest person will have to if they are in their apartment. You can only be online so long until your brain melts. And eventually you have to sit with yourself and face the fact that this is what it's going to be like. And I think that what's going to come out of that is a longing for the other Mm-hmm. Um which is of course, something we believe we were designed for, but even if that's not language that you're able to use, I think the just sort of the hunger for community, whatever that looks like, and the importance of that. and so many people are throwing the phrase around, we're we're gonna get through this together, we're better off together, that you stop hearing what that means. Mm-hmm. I do think being together, that experience is going to take on an entirely new form. And if I could, if I was able to design my own experiment for our country, right, thinking of us all in our sort of a little apartment cages that we have to stay in now for as long as possible, I'd want to reshift the country and allow people to, when it finally is permissible and advisable to come out of our Apartments that the first person you run into is the person that you've been detesting for the last ten years—it's just going to diminish all this vitriol that we've been storing and unloading on each other. If I, you know, if if I if I was a magician and could do that, that's exactly you know I'd want to get the far leftist and the far right person going crazy in their apartment, and then somehow design it in such a way that their front doors opened up and between their two apartments was this table, and that's where they're going to meet. That's the first person they're going to see and see if they have the stomach to to shout obscenities at each other, which I don't. I think that's the last thing anyone wants to do. The first thing they want to do is say, what's your name and what's your story? Oh, and isn't it crazy that we've just experienced the same thing?
0: I find it so fascinating that the images... Of theater and the images that have been provided, you know, you could say through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the example and teachings of Jesus through thousands of years, the images are so, are so similar. There's this deep, dramatic sensibility about what the church at her best is performing. And this image that you use of two enemies, their doors finally open and And they face one another, and between them is a table. And this is what happens at the Last Supper. This is what happens at the birth of the church. This is what happens in in any reconciliation that occurs between two people. And this is what happens um, in the celebration of the Eucharist on Sunday. Two enemies, the doors open, they approach the table, and something happens there. I have a couple of practical questions for you, Chris. What can the church be doing to support artists at this time? And then if you want to flip it and say, what can artists be doing for their communities and for their churches, even if they're unemployed?
1: How can the church help artists? I, I mean, there's practical help, of course. Our, our church, Calvary St. George, they, they emailed us. At least two of our rectors called us in different occasions to check in with us how we were doing the the kids teacher Chelsea asked us if Annie and Ansel needed anything and that was just really nice to have someone check in on and ask is there anything that you need I think the needs are different um, from person to person again I think many artists are in financial need and I also know that there aren't financial resources available to cover all those needs but if, if the church is able to do that through a deacon's fund. And I think that would be welcomed by many people who are really in financial uh, distress. How can artists help the church? I find it helpful as for artists to think, okay, this is how I'm responding to the moment creatively. Is there anyone specifically in my life who I can encourage through this piece of art, be it a painting or a poem or a song? You know. Um, It's my, it's my mother's birthday on Sunday and, and she lives in Austria and we've thought about our daughter, Annie has been learning piano and she's got four songs that she wants to perform as a gift to my mom. Uh, You know, I know for, I know for a fact, that's going to be very meaningful to my mother on her birthday to hear songs from her granddaughter. Now that's maybe an obvious thing, but still that's a person that will be impacted by art. I guess that would be my encouragement: is to to say, which is tough with today's social media sort of economy, where the more you reach, sort of the better you think you are, the better the art is. I, I think that's a fallacy. I think mm-hmm. at this time, you might create something that is just for you, and 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 more power to you. I think we need to create more in solitude. But I think, I would encourage artists to think of individuals rather than groups to reach and say, who can I send this to? Who can I encourage through my creative gifts? And uh, I guarantee you, there's going to be at least one person that you can encourage. And because of your unique gifting, you will be able to encourage that person in ways that no one else can. And that is a remarkable thing about the creative field. The creative gift is that it speaks a language that when when received by the other can can sort of cut straight to the heart in ways that other things can't. So that's how I would encourage artists to go about their their offering.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's always a pleasure and I'm I'm very grateful for our time that we've had. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning covenant blog, livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.